It's good to see you. Looking forward to our time together in 2 Samuel 13. If you were not here last week, we covered 2 Samuel 13, at least the, the, the section we were in last week in main service. So if you, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and, and catch that online. But we continue this morning. We're going to finish the chapter, verses 23 through 39, uh, talking about active fathers or active fathering. Some of you might remember uh, the name Bill Curry. Some of the sports fans in the room uh, might remember that name. And if you're like, here's Kenny again with another sports illustration. Yes, it is. But I promise you, even if you're anti-sports, we'll we'll all get this, okay? But Bill Curry, he played in the National Football League. He coached at the collegiate level. He coached at the University of Alabama. You'll probably remember that if you're a college football fan. He was also an analyst for ESPN. But he told a story about being drafted into the NFL many years ago And to give you an idea of how long ago this was, in the 20th round by the Green Bay Packers. So that was a long time ago. It's only seven rounds now. But convinced that he would never make the team, he tried to identify any advantage he could gain, any edge that he could gain to enhance his chances of making the team. So he began taking steroids. And in just a few weeks, his body went from 220 pounds to 240 pounds. Just in a few weeks. His father, who was a weightlifter himself, came to visit him. And Bill Curry talked about the remarkable improvement that he had made by taking these pills. And he said, Dad, it's just incredible what these pills can do. His father asked him for the pills. Bill Curry gave him the pills. His father took the pills walked over to the toilet, flushed him down the toilet, and Bill Curry panicked and said, what are you doing? His father began educating him on the dangers of steroids and how if he kept taking these steroids, it was going to destroy his body. Bill Curry never took steroids again, and here's what he said. He said, I'm so glad I had a father who loved me like that. His father was right. Steroids are dangerous. Like David's sons, Amnon and Absalom in 2 Samuel 13, Bill Curry wasn't a child at that point. He was a young man. And a young man who was heading down a very foolish and dangerous path and needed his father to intervene in a wise and loving way, and his father did. It is clear to us from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, that God told David that the sword would never depart from his house, and it never did. The sword has began to fall, and David is filling it in his family, but I don't want you to miss this because I think this really stands at the heart of what we're looking at here in 2 Samuel 13 and what we're going to be dealing with the rest of the way as we're looking at David as a father, and it is this. Despite what he had done, God never said that David could not be a father to his children. God never said that. God never said that David could, 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 could stop actively being a father. God never said that. Had David made his job as a father difficult? Yes, he had. Extremely difficult, no doubt about it. But his best recourse at this point in time would have been to 
deal with his children as their king, which he was. And because he was their king, because he was the Lord's anointed, he had been given divine authority by God to deal with his children as their king. And I find that sobering because one of the things that Paul told Timothy was that Timothy needed to know how he ought to behave himself in the house of God. Listen, it is wise for us, I know that we have, it is wise for us to teach our children that the pastors of their local church have been given authority by God to discipline them if necessary. Our children need to know that. I know for us, it's been very important to make sure that our children know that they must take their pastors as seriously as they take their father. I mean, God has given them authority if necessary. I mean, read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and other places. Like that is from the Lord. David's children desperately needed, listen, a flushing the pills down the toilet moment from their father. They were out of control. But the truth was, David, as a king, was very active. David, as a father, was very passive. That's the truth. As a king, very active. As a father, very passive. And that's what we need to look at today. Active fathers. And when we're talking about active fathers, we're talking about fathers we're talking about men who shun being passive in the role. They shun that. They're very active. Verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Belhazar, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's son. <clears throat> and Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, Thy servant hath sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him. Howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him, that he let Amnon and all the king's son go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. The scene here for David, is it not very familiar? This is very familiar. If you go back and look at the opening of this chapter, like Amnon, Absalom approached his father with an ulterior motive. This is the same scene. Amnon wanted to create a scenario where he could get Tamar alone with him. And he went to his father to pitch that to his father to make that happen. And then so here's Absalom now, who is trying to create a scenario where he can get Amnon in a situation so that he can fulfill his thirst for vengeance. 
But to do that, he had to do what? He had to go through his father, just like Amnon had to go through their father to make that happen. It's a very familiar situation. Sheep shearing was a celebratory and festive event that Absalom believed provided the perfect cover for this to happen. This would be the place where I can get this done. And unlike Amnon, who up front requested Tamar, Absalom didn't. I mean, he started with inviting the king and inviting the king's servants and all the sons and eventually got to Amnon. The text doesn't say this directly, but you'd have to wonder if Absalom knew that David would say no. If he was persuaded up front that he would decline, unless Absalom had a massive ranch for the sheep shearing festival, he would not have been able to accommodate, to accommodate everybody if they would have said yes. Had all the sons of David come and had all the servants of David come, can you imagine the entourage that David would have showed up with? He's the king. <laughs> I mean, unless we're talking about a massive space, not doable. This is why David said in verse 25, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. His point was, if we all come, that's going to be too much for you. You can't handle that. You can't accommodate. Optimum was too bright of a man to not have known that. What influences me to believe that he was putting on is what he said in verse 25 after that, and, or what the Bible says, and he pressed him. He pressed him. Absalom had to already know what David knew. It's too much. But like Amnon, he was trying to deceive his father into getting what he wanted. And it's interesting, right? The fact that, that, that Amnon or that Absalom would, would keep pressing his father you don't do that unless you believe that you can manipulate or control your father. That if I just press him hard enough, if I just keep pestering him, eventually he'll cave and give me what I want. Very interesting. Here's where once again, though, David's lack of discernment as a father that we talked about last week shows up once again in verse 26. <clears throat> Then said Absalom, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, why should he go with thee? So when Amnon requested Tamar's presence, David never asked him, why Tamar? Like he never asked any questions. Here, he did ask Absalom, why should Amnon go with him? That was very wise. That was very perceptive. I mean, it was, he sensed that something was up, but would you notice the response? Notice Absalom's response in verse 27. But Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's son go with him. Absalom dodged the question. He never answered the question. He just pressed even more to get what he wanted, which, again, should have been a clue that, wait a minute, you're not answering my question. I asked you, why Amnon? 
And his response was, no, he's got to go. He's got to come. This is the second time that we're told that Absalom pressed his father. David did not need to know the full plan. But by this point, discernment says that especially after what's happened with Amnon and Tamar, something's up. No, Amnon's not going. I don't know exactly what you're thinking or what the plan is, but, but no, the answer is no. Here's what we need to understand first about active, active fathers when it comes to the family. Listen, they protect unity. Active fathers protect unity. Specifically, we're talking about in their family, in the home. They protect unity. Look at the scene here. Amnon has raped his sister Tamar. For two years, she's remained desolate in Absalom's house. Absalom hated Amnon and had been plotting revenge for two years. David's house was fractured. (laughs) His house was a mess. His house was divided. It was in turmoil. And here's what was so disturbing. David was not actively doing anything to bring his family together. Nothing. Amnon went on like nothing had happened after he had done one of the worst things that a person could do. And he's just gone on with life, no repentance, nothing. The relationship between Amnon and Tamar was fractured. There is no record at all of David providing comfort to Tamar? Can you imagine the relationship between David and Tamar? There was no relationship. Absalom hated Amnon, so their relationship was fractured. This is also where now Absalom's heart toward his father began to turn. Begin to turn. David had already lost credibility with all of his children based on what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. But in not dealing with Amnon, not only was that a blow to Tamar, but it was a blow to Absalom. To the point where Absalom's like, well, if you're not going to deal with it, I'll deal with it. If you're not going to do something about this, I'll do something about this. Be not mistaken, Absalom's actions after 2 Samuel 13 or after the incident with Tamar toward his father indicated that not only had he lost respect for his father, but he had actually come to despise him. To despise him. Listen, this is is a sober and, and sad truth. But the way that many men, the way that many men deal with things is that they don't deal with things. That's how they deal with things. They don't deal with things. I mean, you're talking about things that are happening in the family that are going on, big things, hard things, and it's just there. And the way that I'm going to deal with it is I'm just not going to deal with it. That was David. Passive. And listen, that approach 
to fatherhood, that approach to being a husband, that approach to being the head of your home will cost your home significantly. One of the most beautiful portraits of the family is found in Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Uh, This has been referred to as the family hymn. It's beautiful. In this, what we see is we see a picture of a family that is happy, a family that is fruitful, a family that is thriving, and a family that is unified. It's beautiful. It is the opposite of what we see in David's family at this point. But listen, this kind of family, this kind of home is not developed by accident. No, this is very, very intentional. Notice this psalm begins with everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. So this is the kind of husband, this is the kind of father who has spiritual vision from the Lord, like we talked about Friday night, right? He's got vision from the Lord, which then allows him now to properly lead and develop his family. That leadership now fosters a culture for his wife and his children to thrive. Because he's actively leading. And he's leading out of his walk with God. This is a man who fears God and walks in his ways. His steps are ordered in God's Word and that's how he is stepping And because that's how he's stepping, that's how he's leading. And because that's how he's leading, that's how his family, that's how they're following. So they're thriving. They're fruitful. They're happy. They're unified. There's peace. There's harmony. Can I tell you? If there's one thing that I treasure in my home is harmony. Peace, unity, us, we're together, and we love being together. We love being here. We love being around each other. We love being together, right? Even my kids are probably going to not be fond of this, so I'm going to spill the beans. But even at 19 and 18 years old, uh, they'll come and we'll all get into our, which our bed is quite comfortable for Lori and me, but when you add two teenagers, it gets tight real quick. But they'll come in and we'll all just snuggle up and goof off. And, and I'm always, I usually fall asleep pretty quickly <laughs> around seven o'clock, but it's all good. I'm not saying we're, I'm not saying the Morgans are the perfect family. There are, we are, there, that doesn't exist, okay? There are issues in my home and nobody's batting a thousand, but, but I'm just saying, I, I just treasure, I treasure being together. I, I, home is our refuge, it's our safe place. 
there's nothing like it. I don't like tension. I don't like, are, are there things that have to be dealt with and addressed and talked about? Yes, and there's a way in which we approach those things. There's a way that we do that, even between Lori and me. There are times when we have to have serious, heart-to-heart, heavy conversations that every married couple has. There's a way that we do that. There is an issue that we need to discuss and address, but there's no one to attack. We're not doing that. So I will listen to you, you will listen to me, and we're both going to have hearts that say we're more interested in being right together than I'm more interested in me being right. Just going to work through it, right? Everything that Doug would have talked to you about last week, about how to divorce-proof your marriage and things like that. But here's where that leads. When you have this kind of man in Psalm 128, look at Proverbs 17, 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. So a crown represents reward, and it represents joy. What did Paul say about the church at Thessalonica? You are my crown of rejoicing, right? For grandparents to see their children's children continue in the word and ways of God. That's a crown to them. But the statement, and the glory of children are their fathers, means that, listen, to children, their father is like an ornament. So in the healthiest sense, what's being talked about here is that they are so very proud to call him father. He's their glory. They're proud to call him father. In their eyes, he's a man who loves God. He's a man who loves the word of God. He's a man who loves their mother. He's a man who loves them. He's a man who has faithfully led them. He's a man who has unified them and kept them together. Their father is their glory. They're proud to say, hey, that's my father. That's my father. Fathers, let me give you a few nuggets of wisdom regarding protecting unity in your home. One, children learn the importance of unity in the home by watching their parents protect unity in marriage. They do. If a husband and wife have created an environment where tension and conflict are constant, listen, it is unlikely at best that their children will leave that home and establish a home that looks any different than that. What their parents have given them is they've given them a playbook, they've given them a blueprint that they're going to duplicate. So when you go to their home, you're going to sense the same tension that was in your home, and you're going to see your children just bicker and fight and go back and forth with their spouse. Because that's the home that, that's what, that's, that's what they saw, that's what they know. Man, you would do your children a wonderful blessing if, if you, as husbands and wives, are protecting unity. Fathers teach their children how to address and resolve conflict among themselves. Children are going to have disagreements just like parents. 
You've got more than one child in a home. It's not a matter of if, but when they reach a point where they're not going to see eye to eye on something. They're going to have a disagreement about something. And okay, that's human. But what we have to do, fathers, is we have to teach them how to go about that. Right? In other words, just because you're disappointed, just because something didn't work out, doesn't entitle you now to be carnal and unreasonable. You don't get to throw a fit. You don't get to raise your voice. You don't get to slam doors. You don't get to yell. You don't get to be mean-spirited. No, that's not how we deal with things. No, let's sit down, and here's, this is how we address this. This is how, but now here we go. We can only do that if that's what we're modeling as spouses. Because if we try and do that, and they're like, yeah, you go first. (laughs) Yeah, the moment you show me how to do that, then maybe I can follow. But this is how you'll have siblings who haven't spoken in 20 years. Right? Because they, they never learned how to handle disagreements as children. So as adults, I haven't talked to my brother in 20 years. I haven't talked to my sister in 40 years. Like, wow. Fathers teach their children the importance of forgiveness. Let me, let me ask for a show of hands. Is there anybody, and I mean this, is there anybody in this room who can name one relationship that you could possibly be in where eventually you will not get hurt? Okay, you were taking your glasses off. I was like, whoa, I got to hear this. <laughs> I was like, well, he, he's married to Sherry, so he, he can raise his hand. Yeah, I get it. No, no show of hands? Okay, I, I, I didn't think so. No. I can only imagine the bitterness that Tamar had in her heart toward Amnon. Absalom hated him. But listen, forgiveness and reconciliation were nowhere in sight. Everybody's just hurt. Everybody's angry. Everybody's mad. But nobody's coming together. I was taught years ago, I agree with it. Things buried alive never die. They don't. Right? They're things that they're they're not dealt with. They were never addressed. They were never resolved. They were never reconciled. They were never, like, it just, you know, and... It just lingers. And listen, Amnon's rape of Tamar was far from over as it related to David's family and the impact. Fathers teach their children to be peacemakers. To be a peacemaker means that we deliberately address things and actively work to achieve peace in a relationship where there's been a rupture. It's not okay for us to be fractured. It's not okay for us to be divided. Like, we've got to heal this. We've got to make this right. And that includes forgiveness. But listen, it also seeks to protect unity 
in the relationship moving forward. It's not just that we get this right, it's that we keep it right. One of the problems today, even in the church, is that too many people view forgiveness and, 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 and the making of peace as optional. The only problem with that is Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we are to put bitterness away. Can I tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there is not one scenario that you could give me where you or I have a green light to be bitter. Name it. Put all bitterness away unless someone hurt you like this. Forgive one another, except someone did this to you. No. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I never have license to be better toward anyone. So we have to teach our children this, but it's not just sitting down and giving them Bible verses on it. That's part of it, yes. But you know what they need? They need to see us living those Bible verses about forgiveness, about peacemaking, about unity. They need to see that. Like passive fathers, David assumed that things would just work out. He's going to wake up one day and tomorrow's going to be great and Amnon's going to repent and Optimum's not going to be angry and the families is going to be, they're all going to go out for ice cream and laugh and remember the good old days. That day never comes. That day never comes. And Absalom was about to prove otherwise. But before looking at that, fathers, hear me. A passive father welcomes calamity into his family. A passive father welcomes calamity into his family. If your approach is the way I deal with things is I don't deal with things or I let my wife deal with things, okay, you can do that. But I'm telling you, <laughs> great will be the fall of your home. That's not biblical. Verse 29, and the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were in the way that tidings came to David, saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's sons, and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth. And all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. And Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart, to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only 
is dead. So after the slaying of Amnon, David receives this inaccurate report that said that all of his sons had been killed. And obviously David was crushed. And I'm sure what landed immediately for him was going back to the conversation that he had with Absalom, where he sensed that something was probably off and not only let Amnon go, but let all of his sons go. So once again, he's, he's tasted failure, massive, colossal failure as a father. But while the initial report was off, there was someone there who actually knew what really happened and was glad to inform David of what really happened, and that was yours truly, his nephew, Jonadab, which that name ought to sound very familiar because we met him earlier in the chapter. And not only that, um, he, he had some information for David. He informed David that, that it was only Amnon who had been killed, but, 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 but even more than that, King, let me tell you, um, this was determined two years ago. Uh, when Amnon did what he did to Tamar, Absalom determined then that he would do this, what happened today. The question, though, becomes, how could Jonadab have known all that information? How, how could he have known that? Uh, except he had been a confidant of Absalom. I mean, he knew that this was determined two years ago. David's sons are going to return, but before they return, he's there to let David know, hey, just so you know, it's only Amnon. That's called inside information. (laughs) Remember, Jonadab, David's nephew, was a perfect type of the serpent, the devil, and could it be, could it be that just as he advised Amnon on how to carry out his wicked and diabolical plan to violate his sister Tamar, that he was in the ear of Absalom advising him on how he could make full proof of his thirst for revenge against Amnon. Interesting. Given that he was at the heart of this disaster from the very beginning, at a minimum, he knew too much to be blameless in the matter of Absalom and having Amnon killed, And it tells me (laughs) that Jonadab was an absolute danger to David's family. He was. And one would think that David would have asked, Jonadab, how, how, how do you know all this? How do you know? David didn't ask. Once again, he missed the obvious signs with Amnon. He missed the obvious signs with Absalom. And here, he missed that the guy who was informing him of what really went down was actually actively working to destroy his family. You know what active fathers do? They detect the adversary. They do. They detect the adversary. Jonadab was an adversary to David and his family. One of the roles of fathers, listen, fathers must fulfill the role of watchmen over their family. 
If you are a husband, you are a father, you are a watchman. You ought to read the first six verses of Ezekiel 33, but here's Ezekiel 33, 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So a watchman in the Old Testament, they would stand on top of these walls and their job was to look out and, and watch. And at the moment they saw the sword coming, the moment they saw the enemy coming, they were to sound the trumpet. They were to blow the alarm. And if the people heard the alarm and they chose to ignore it, their blood was upon them. But if the watchman was standing and saw the enemy coming and didn't blow the trumpet and didn't warn the people that danger was approaching, then blood was on his hands. Big job, big responsibility. Listen, it wasn't like, it wasn't like Jonadab was a stranger. This is David's nephew. This was family. And like Amnon, uh, Jonadab was a man of dark character. I think that's something that David needed to know. As his uncle, he should have known that Jonadab was bad news for his family. I don't want this guy anywhere around my house. If I catch him in my palace, I'm going to throw him in prison. <laughs> Stay away. This might sound exaggerated, but here's what history has taught me. A family member, a church member, a close friend can actually be working as a satanic implant against your family. Unbelievable. That person is actively being used by the devil to destroy your children. When the dust clears on all of this, both Amnon and Absalom are going to die horrible deaths. Fathers should do their due diligence on the people involved with their children. Do your due diligence. Do your homework. I'll just tell you, I am leery at best, and, and I have, and I will counsel my children. Be very careful about getting in league with, running with, spending quality time with someone who doesn't have an active, obvious walk with God. Be careful. Maintain a safe distance. Be careful. Like watchmen, you know what you do? You sound the alarm when you perceive danger. You, you're like Bill Curry's father. <laughs> Give me those pills. <laughs> no, that's that's dangerous. They're dangerous. As the king's sons returned, self-serving Jonadab was careful to remind David that he was right. Look at verse 35. 
And Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come. As thy servant said, so it is. See, David, I'm your man. I was right. See, they're they're, they're your boys, except I'm them, but, but look, not all of them. I'm here to help you. No, he wasn't there to help. He was there acting in his own interest. Look at verse 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. So Talmai was Absalom's grandfather. But, but these three verses are both interesting and perplexing. Many are split on which son David mourned for every day in verse 37. Was he mourning for Amnon or was he mourning for Absalom? Uh, given that it was Amnon who had been killed, I would say that I think it was Amnon that he was mourning for uh, every day. But what I can't get past is this. Whether he was mourning for Amnon or whether he was mourning for Absalom, did he ever mourn for Tamar? His 15-year-old virgin, precious daughter who had been raped and humiliated and shamed and forced into desolation. Did he ever mourn for her? Did he even stop by to see her? Did he even affirm his love for her? Did he even love her? That's my question. Again, the way that some men deal with things is they don't deal with things. That's obvious. You know what active fathers do? They act proactively. They act proactively. They're not passive. In case you're keeping score, since the rape of Tamar, it's been five years. It's been five years. And in that time, the image of David was that of a passive father. Amnon wasn't dealt with. Tamar was in desolation. Amnon fled, um, and David chose, or, or Absalom fled, and David chose not to go after him. I mean, he was in Geshur for three years. Three years. <laughs> I mean, what? Brothers, there are times and seasons in a family when a father's leadership must be heard seen and felt. There are times and seasons in a family when a father's leadership must be heard, it must be seen, and it must be felt. This is not a time for me to be passive. This is not a time where I get to sit back and say, well, you know, at some point, no, 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 no. I have to assert myself 
and make sure that I am heard, that I am seen, and I am felt as a father. This was such a time and a season for David. Look at Proverbs 3.27. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. When it is in thy when is when it is in the power of thine hand to do it, even though what David needed to do was hard, it was good. It would have been good for him to rally his family, to reconcile his family, to have those hard conversations, to facilitate for good forgiveness and and peacemaking. Hard stuff. Hard stuff. But as the king of Israel, I think he had it in his power to do it. He did. It says that he, he longed to go to, to Absalom. My question is, what was keeping him from going? He's the king of Israel. You're, you're, you long for Absalom? Go get him. Go to him. You're the king. Who could stop you from going to your son? Be proactive. Go do it. You know, eventually one day Absalom will just come back home and he was right. He will come back, but that's going to create a whole other set of problems. And, And even when he comes back, even when he comes back and he's in Jerusalem, David still won't go to him. Absalom will have to force a meeting with his father. Fathers, is the Lord calling you to action today? Is he? He might be. Lord, thank you for your word. May we hide it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.